welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Thank you for listening to this podcast series, which will focus on the upcoming new patent system in Europe. My name is Marian Schaffner. I'm leading the IP practice in Europe. I'm presenting this podcast series with Thierry Lottier. He is a European patent attorney and a lawyer. We are both partners at Fritz Smith in Paris. Our practice focuses on all aspects of patents, prosecution, transactions, litigation. We have litigated many times patents in different jurisdictions in Europe as well as in the US. In this podcast series, we want to give you a glimpse of the upcoming changes in the European patent system, both in terms of patent prosecution with the unitary patent and in terms of patent litigation with the Unified Patent Courts or UPC. This is our second podcast of the series. In our first podcast, we discussed what you need to know about the UPC and the unitary patents. In this second podcast, we will discuss what you need to do if you have European patents. And lastly, in our upcoming third podcast, we will discuss what you need to do if your competitors have European patents. In this podcast, we will see that the main question is, should I enforce my European patents before the UPC or before national courts? The UPC is a new patent court having exclusive jurisdiction over unitary patent disputes, as well as subject to a transitional period of seven years over classic European patent disputes. The UPC judgments will have effect in up to 24 countries, 17 at the start. The UPC has specific rules of procedure, territorial and material jurisdiction, bifurcation or not, remedies, languages, representation, court schedules. This question shall be part of a second series of podcasts. But what is important to note at this stage is that the UPC will allow patent holders to seek central injunction and even preliminary injunction, and third parties to seek central patent revocation, as well as the patentees can obtain damages for the entire territory of the UPC. That's the revolution. Also, the UPC will be made up with very high specialist judges, both legal judges and technical judges. The UPC will require the payment of court fees, but a save in terms of legal fees as the need of multiple national lawyers being solved as one single procedure will be filed to cover the entire territory. There are some procedural peculiarities to underline. First of all, this will be a super fast track. Decisions shall be reached within 12 months. As a consequence, short and tight deadlines will be strictly supervised by the UPC. It will be a front-loaded procedure. That is to say that all requests, evidence and arguments have to be submitted altogether as soon as possible. Therefore, late filing can be disregarded. It will be a written procedure and a one-day hearing per patent will be scheduled. Note that there is no discovery or no disclosure before the EPC. 
During the transitional period, the question is, should I stay with the national system or should I go with the UPC? To respond to the question, should I enforce my European patents before the UPC or before national courts, we can consider the pros and cons of the UPC compared to national courts. We can see at least three advantages of the UPC, which are the opportunity to centrally enforce a European patent and get a decision that will cover up to 24 countries, both on injunction and damages. We can see the quickness, because it's supposed to be faster than most national courts. And we can see the cost efficiency, because you will have only one law firm to hire. But if we look at the drawbacks, we can see at least two drawbacks for the UPC. The first one is the risk to have a European patent centrally revoked, with an effect in up to 24 countries. And this may not be acceptable, for instance, for a blockbuster patent or for a patent for which a license has been granted. You can lose such patent. And the second drawback is probably the lack of existing case law. Even if there will be specialist judges, the UPC has not been tested yet, so decisions are hard to foresee. We can of course expect that the UPC will be patentee friendly, at least at the beginning for attractiveness reasons, but that's it, we don't know much yet. So there cannot be one easy solution that should fit all companies and all patents. The decisions has to be made on a patent by patent basis and on a case by case basis. And the decision may very well depend on many factors, notably the strength of the patent. If it is strong, I will not fear central revocation, for instance. You can also factor the business relevance of the patent. If it covers a blockbuster product or if it is licensed, I will want to avoid a risk of central revocation. You can also factor the existence of license agreements or co-ownership agreements, which may be a hurdle. And you can also consider your own markets and your competitors' markets, where they manufacture, where they import or sell their products. There may be probably other business factors to be considered when taking a decision. But what is certain is that an holistic decision requires a deep analysis of your patent portfolio and your market. There are three possible scenarios. I want to enforce my patent before the UPC. I want to avoid the UPC. Or I have no idea. Here the question is, should I opt out from the UPC? How and when? In addition to these questions, other questions are to be considered for future patents in Europe. Should I opt for the unitary patent or for the classic European effect? Can I have both for the same invention? Can have national patents for the same invention if I opt for the unitary effect? Should I therefore reconsider and adapt my patent filing strategy in Europe? Should my license or ownership agreements be reviewed and revised? The first question is whether you want a unitary patent or a classic European patent. This question only concerns the patents that will be granted soon. We have discussed the unitary patent in our first podcast. We have seen that this is a unique way to get a single patent covering up to 24 countries, or 17 at the start, with only one validation process and only one set of annuities. One impact of the unitary patent 
is that it can be enforced before the UPC exclusively. But after that, there may be clear advantages for the unitary patents, both in terms of cost and in terms of coverage. In terms of cost, because there is a rule of thumb that says that starting from four to five countries, it becomes less, less expensive to seek a unitary patent than a European patent. And coverage, coverage because a unitary patent will cover at least 17 countries, whatever you do, while a classic European patent will only cover the validated countries, which may be likely four to five countries only. For each of your patents, you may have a decision tree. The very first question may be, do you want your patent to be exclusively subject to the UPC? If you absolutely want to avoid the UPC, then you need to avoid the unitary patent. But if you are okay with the UPC, then you can consider costs and coverage as main advantages. And if you want to cover more than five countries, then you should probably go for the unitary patent because of disadvantages of cost and coverage. To help you make such decisions, we can provide you with simulation estimates based on your usual validation patterns. The second question is whether you want to opt your patent out of the UPC. This question concerns your entire European patent portfolio. That is to say, both European patents already granted and the future patents to be granted during the transition period. During the sunrise period of three months, before the entry into force of the EPC. And during the transitional period of seven years, European patent holders can opt any of their European patents out of the EPC, all of them or some of them. The opt-out can be filed at any time, provided, however, that no action has been commenced before the EPC. The filing is made with the EPO. No official tax has to be paid. One single opt-out request can be made for one or multiple patents owned by the same entity. In case of co-ownership, the opt-out can be requested either jointly or by one co-owner, but only and only if with the proof that the co-owners have agreed thereto. If the opt-out has not been filed, a competitor could start a revocation action or DNI before the EPC and lock the patent in the EPC system. We've seen that there are some patentees who believe that they have plenty of time to opt out or not. It is unsure others can decide for them. That's why time is of essence. Your patent portfolio should be reviewed now. And then the decision to opt out or not depends on several factors as already said. It is a decision which impacts the business at several levels of decision within the company. So let's start the process now. The first question concerned the unitary patent. The second question concerned the opting out. And the third question is whether you need to adapt your patent filing strategy because of all these previous questions. Because the central question is the UPC or national courts, you may want to diversify some of your patent families to keep options open and to buy time to get the most out of your patents. For instance, if one of your European patent applications is about to be granted, 
you can decide to avoid the UPC by seeking a classic European patent and then opting it out of the UPC. And you can also file a divisional application, which you will intend to turn into a unitary patent, which will go before the UPC. In that case, you will have two European patents, one which will go before national courts and one which will go before the UPC. And you can have the choice later. This is for European patents, but you can also contemplate national patents. Because we have seen that the purpose is that all European patents go before the UPC in the long run, it may also be wise to contemplate filing national patent applications in addition to European patent applications. In the long run, it will be the only way to have a patent which will avoid the UPC. And in the future, some countries, at least France and Germany, will allow to cover the very same invention in a unitary patent and in a national patent. So there will actually be no hurdle to diversify your patent portfolio. The fourth and most urgent question is whether you have co-ownership agreements or license agreements in place. If you have such agreements, you may need to adapt them to the new system and agree on new provisions on how to opt out on future patent strategy, namely whether future European patents shall be with or without unitary effect. Indeed, most of the agreements in place have not anticipated the UPC system and do not contain any provisions in that respect. Before the sunrise period commences, the negotiations with your partners should start to be in a position to make a decision on the opt-out before they enter into force and to avoid that a third party actually makes the decision for you and locks your patent in or out of the UPC by filing an action before the UPC or national court. And it is also important to know upon the entry into force of the new system whether the future patent shall have a unitary effect or not, the decision having to be made within one month from grant. Therefore, the review and adaptation of your agreements is key and should be made now. You will understand that many actions must be taken from now to get prepared to the UPC. And you can expect that your competitors will do the same with their own European patents. This is why the topic of our next podcast will be what you need to do if your competitors have European patents. Thank you everyone for listening. TechLaw Talks is a ReadSmith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about ReadSmith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at readsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and ReadSmith.com, and our social media accounts at ReadSmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.